This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by Esker, the end-to-end solution for automating any inbound or outbound document process, enabling businesses to achieve significant efficiencies and cost reductions by addressing the challenges of manual document processing through automation. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company with Esker Sales Director Dan Reeve. But now, on to the podcast. Cutting costs, managing growth, and boosting demand. It's the universal challenge for supply chain managers. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. pressure on companies today to meet the demands of customers is intense. There's scarcely any time to sit back and review basic processes. But if you make a mistake at any step along the way, you could be costing your company millions in extra work, replacement of product, and expedited shipping. The situation is made only more complicated by the requirements of omnichannel order processing. Today I'm speaking with two executives from Esker to talk about how companies can approach the challenge of cost control through the automation of key processes, including order entry. My guests are Sales Director Dan Reeve and Business Development Manager Jeremy Dukers. We'll discuss how to undertake a major automation initiative, who should drive the effort, and who pays for it. And we'll learn why so many companies today are falling short of achieving the goal of the perfect order. So here is my conversation with Dan Reeve and Jeremy Dukers. Dan Reeve, welcome to the program. Thanks. Jeremy Dukers, welcome as well. Thanks very much. Nice to talk to you. Dan, let me start with you. I want to ask you just in general to sketch out the problem that companies face today, the pressures that they're under to reduce their operational costs while managing growth and increasing demand. Where are the biggest pressures coming from these days? Yeah, that's an interesting one. The morning of the election, uh, I was at a supply chain event. And picture this, in that room, there was about 60 or 70 supply chain leaders. Most of them were there. It was a medical device specialized group. And so you had senior leaders who had been in the industry 20, 30 years, responsible for the supply chain of many of the large med device solutions that, that we know in the industry. So all the big boys are there, small and medium, large players. And it was interesting because, you know, at the time, there's all this focus on the president-elect Trump at the time and Hillary Clinton. And there's all this focus on, you know, all these expectations that they had. Then Stephen Meyer from Gartner, he was a senior researcher at Gartner, started to talk about the pressures and, and, and the supply chain costs, reduction goals that the med device industry had been set. He did some research over the last two years, and he said, you know, the reality is the main cost reduction goal across the enterprise was for folks to cut their costs, supply chain costs, by 3.6%. He reported that only 9% of the folks in the supply chain had been able to do that. 
And what he projected, as you said, you know, the expectation was that in future, a lot of companies were expected to see savings, supply chain savings in the 5 to 7%. Yet most of the companies hadn't even been able to reach that previously. So what was going is lots of pressure from a need to be competitive, a need to sort of avoid or, or prepare for lots of merger and acquisition activity. And at the same time, the expectations seem to be running away. So back to that morning, you know, there we are thinking about the election. And I'm busy thinking, wow, you know, these folks, dare I say average folks like myself, you know, these folks who are clearly very capable, very skilled supply chain leaders, and they're under just as much pressure as these candidates. That's, that was, that was the, the thing I came away from that morning. Do you get a sense of why they are failing to achieve those goals they set for themselves? Now, I can't say that I'm an expert in the medical device space. In that particular space, there's obviously the challenges of funding for Medicare and Medicaid. There's lots of complexity. And I think there's a variety of challenges. If I talk about where ESCU plays, well, our main play is trying to help drive out errors and, and, and free up people from having to carry out manual tasks. I think that industry is trying to consolidate, trying to standardize processes, but has a long way to go. Plus also, you know, I think there's still the med device tax is something that they still struggle with. That tax is still in place and maybe it will be repealed under the new um, administration. I'm not sure. Jeremy, as business development manager, you're out in the field a lot. You're talking to a lot of clients, customers and business prospects as well. What are their pain points as you see them? Where are they for most frustrated in this area? One big thing I see in common when I'm talking to various executives and, and leaders in supply chain is the want to look at their staff and better utilize the resources they have on hand as opposed to going out, hiring teams, and then you get into a, a dip in the year where you've got a low point, you're not as busy, then you've got to reduce the staff and then wait again for that peak to come along and then you're, you're back in that same cycle where you're hiring more. So really the need to right-size their companies and better leverage the people that they have on hand is something that I see a lot of businesses struggle with. An obvious solution that a lot of companies are embracing to one degree or another is automation. And yet it's not that easy necessarily to launch a successful automation or IT initiative. First of all, I'm wondering if the two of you could kind of tell me where a company even starts. Like, who is controlling the budget, the purse strings these days? Who do you have to go to in order to get a project launched? Is it the CFO, the CIO, the line of business? Who exactly has that kind of power these days? I think it's changed. If you asked me that question five, seven years ago, you know, when I was selling solutions to um, enterprise customers, I think often it was the director of customer service and that maybe that individual, he or she reported up through a revenue officer, or maybe they managed to persuade an IT director or VP to, to sponsor the project. Many folks have seen a consolidation across supply chain where nowadays it's very common. I almost think personally it's eight, eight out of 10 times that now you have a, a, a VP in the supply chain that has a cross-functional group, and that includes order management, so the folks like customer service reps who are receiving the orders and talking to the customer. Okay, they may not have the sales team, but they do have the folks that receive the order. Then they have planning, logistics, maybe material master data folks as well. So what we've seen is increasingly one of my fun little perks, so to speak, is I like to look at who is actually signing off the document. Because although we'll often engage with directors of customer service, supply chain VP, supply chain director, often I see that, yes, it's been signed off by the global VP of supply chain. 
or the global VP of spares. And going back to the question you asked me earlier about the pressure, I think what we've seen is the supply chain folks are no longer just tasked with cutting costs. What I understand is that for the supply chain leader, I've been told by executive headhunters, if the supply chain leader wants to aspire and move into the C-suite, well, they have to prove that they improved customer experience and they have to prove that they actually had an impact on revenue and then the door to the C-suite may well open. So I think a lot of the folks signing off on our projects nowadays are supply chain leaders who have this complex group of folks, but ultimately what they're trying to do is, yes, cut errors, lower their operational costs in the supply chain, but they're also trying to service the customer, keep the customer, and ultimately increase loyalty and revenue. So that's why I think that eight, nine times out of 10 now, it, the sponsor comes from the supply chain and then underneath there's, there's folks in the business or IT who say, well, this is a good idea. You know, if we go back seven, 10 years ago, it wasn't uncommon that someone in IT said, this is a good idea. But now I think the IT folks are so strapped, so busy working on other projects, the demand for a technology or solution like ours, it has to come from the very highest level, global VP of supply chain, or, or IT are just too busy to, to take it on board. Jeremy, are those the kind of people you're sitting down with? Are you talking to people in the C-suite, people with supply chain in their title and VP in their title? Yeah, most definitely. So there's a lot of crosstalk within the organization between IT, operations management, finance management, and, and, and folks at the higher levels. I think they have to work together because nowadays there's so much data. When orders are coming in from customers and you're trying to get a holistic view, of customer demand that's happening at that time, the visibility has to be extended. And the CIO, in most cases, is going to have master command over the data that gets filtered out down throughout the company. So I think there's a lot of collaboration and, and a lot of the uh, the goals that are had in the traditional C-suites have to resonate with the rest of the company. All right, so now the problem becomes, let's say that you've found the person you want to talk to and you found the uh, you have that initiative to undertake, acquire some kind of an automation or IT solution. Clearly, the order side of it is an important way to start uh, because it touches on so many parts of the organization. And every company aspires to the so-called perfect order. But I've seen writings from you folks that suggest that that being the case, even so, many companies really don't understand the perfect order. Where are they falling short in that understanding? A lot of companies are doing good things with EDI, web commerce, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, as I talked to Gartner, in fact, Chris Poole is one of their lead analysts. What he often says is a lot of companies are left trying to push 10 or 15 or 20% of their customers to go towards electronic methods. Yeah, those customers are either too busy, too small, maybe don't have the, the um, electronic maturity to fall in line and begin um, trading documents electronically or through e-commerce, etc. So as companies try, and, and rightly so, they try and standardize the way they do business with customers and standardize their sales order process and the way they engage with their customers, because that typically leads to better results and, and lower, lower costs in the supply chain. I think the reality is these enterprises that we deal with, they cannot necessarily go out and, and, and in true Walmart style, you know, use a stick and say to the customers, right, that's it. You, you go to EDI tomorrow or, or else. We have some folks in our team who've worked for EDI companies and they've said, hey, it can take six months to onboard just a couple of EDI customers. You know, if you're an enterprise and you want customers or suppliers to start trading with you over EDI, it can be a lot of work. And then 
there may be even more work when some of those EDI orders or invoices bomb out and fail. Somebody's got to fix them. Often it's both business and IT. So ESCA's premise is not really trying to fight or restrict EDI or, or web commerce. I think, if anything, I, I like to describe ESCA as the electronic mop. It sounds like you're saying, though, that in order to set the stage for the perfect order, basic communication block and tackling has to be in place with your customers downstream and your suppliers upstream. The perfect order sounds like such a simple phrase, and yet it seems brutally complex in order to get all the pieces in place to make that possible. True. I mean, I think that one of the issues is with EDI, for example, unless everything is correct and in the right schema and the right fields, it fails. And then you lose the value of that perfect order. In fact, often now you've got to have someone in business and IT get together to fix that EDI exception. So unless it's perfect, then it's great. Then you are hopefully getting the nirvana and orders coming in and it's flowing in and it's fast and it's efficient and it's it's low cost. But it needs to be perfect. Otherwise, it's expensive. Dan hit it right on the head too with order accuracy being a a big part of obtaining that perfect order. Uh, The other part of that is going to be the speed in which you can get the customer's order information into their system so that it can start to flow downstream hit the order floor, hit the fulfillment floor, and then can get shipped out and then ultimately invoice. So uh, there's going to be a, a couple of different scenarios that have to be in play when thinking about the perfect order. It's, it's easy to think, well, I just can't make any mistakes. Yes, that's got to be part of the equation. The other part has to be, I can't make any mistakes, and I've got to get this thing in quickly. Where do order entry errors most occur? Why do they occur? What kind? And what is the source of them? I think to feed off of my last comment, a lot of order inaccuracy issues come up because customer service reps, order entry admins are, are trying to move too quickly. They're not paying attention. They're confusing a zero with a B or something of that nature, whereas there's so much pressure put on by their management to get orders in, get them into the system, and then move on to the next one that it's easy to start to think, okay, well, all I got to do is get this thing in and move on to the next and all will be well. Somebody else will pick up my mistake if I do indeed make one later on down the chain. And in many cases, that's not what happens. Once it gets into the system of record, the ERP, the MRP, people are going to assume that what's in that system is correct. Another thing that we might think about is that I mean, I think Gartner says that if your error rate is below 1.6%, you're best in class. And many organizations we speak to are, are well below that. Okay, some are above, but many have got a good processes and procedures in place. But what we, what we do here is the goal is to drive out any errors, any exceptions, because if you then put lumber, or, uh, we, we do a lot of work in the building material space. If you put that on a truck and it's the wrong product, well, now you may have to pay for labor to not only drive that truck back, somebody may have started putting it on a house or a building, and you've got to pay the labor to completely fix and then bring back that product, repackage package it, maybe retest it if it's a life science product that was sent in the supply chain. And in the food space, there we've seen situations where, again, just one or two errors a year can be hugely costly. A company I know who makes cheese ships $30,000 of cheese in a container to Holland. It was the wrong cheese, and they weren't able to resell it. We need to make a lot of sales to make $30,000 in net profit. So I think it's, it's the downstream impact of errors 
is expensive. And then there's the whole cost of, well, now we've got to credit the invoice. We may have lost a bit of goodwill with a customer. We may even have to give them credits to deductions on the invoice to try and secure back that goodwill. Another wrinkle in the equation comes in as well when you've got this whole idea of omni-channel order processing. Customers have multiple ways they can get their orders into an organization, whether it be through the e-commerce site, through fax, through email. And the challenge for the organization receiving those orders is to make sure that the master data related to material, line items, item numbers, part numbers, all that kind of thing, they're all consistent across the board, no matter how your customer is ordering. The other challenge in there is going to be associated with how your customer is interpreting those numbers. Many times, they'll have their own part numbers for your product that they're going to be using to order, and then the onus becomes on that company receiving the order to translate that material number or that part number so that when it gets into the system, the right product is going to be pulled, it's going to be manufactured correctly, and a lot of that starts with the customer and how they construct their order. Well, I want to thank both of you for being with me today to talk about this critical issue of how companies can cut their costs in the face of rising demand and how order entry automation is an important element in that effort. Dan Reeve, thank you very much for joining us. Good to be here. And Jeremy Dukers, thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure. So, Dan, tell me a little bit about Esker. How old is the company? And tell me about its formation. Sure. The company's over 30 years old. Started out of uh, Lyon, France with two brothers, John Jack and John Michel, um, got together. And 30 years ago, Esker was providing technology that fundamentally was making it easier for users to interact with mainframes. We provided graphical revamping technology, host access technology, and terminal emulation. Spring forward 30 years, and we're still helping users especially users in the accounts payable department, the accounts receivable department, and uh, the customer service. And the customer service, especially, we think of as the front end of, of the folks who are receiving the demand signals and orders at the start of the supply chain. So the solution has evolved over those years as the technology has evolved. What about in terms of what your customers are asking from you exactly? Are they asking different questions and requiring different solutions based on their own evolving supply chains? Yes, some of those supply chains have become more complicated. Two examples. So in one of the customers we, we work with is Asset Abloy, a very forward-thinking company who are in the windows and doors space. Their supply chain is, is very complicated because there are so many different SKUs, so many different versions of a door or a window or, or a, uh, a locking system to the door. So our customers increasingly have lots of different SKUs and there's a lot of effort needed to maintain and track and you know, manage a large base of products. I think the second example I'd bring up is many companies turn to us in the life science and the med device space. And there, there is this concept where customers will often keep stock. The healthcare providers, they, they need the stock available right there and, and consignment stock. So they need that stock available just in case or for, or for procedures. They don't necessarily want huge amounts of stock, but they do need just enough stock so that if they're going to schedule a procedure, then they can have that the very next day. Well, that in turn extends the supply chain and there's complexities in managing that and complexities in tracking that inside one ZRP or system of record. So I think that adds to the complexity of the supply chain. 
Are there any issues with regard to integration of your solution to company ERPs, or is that not a problem these days? I can't say I have a magic wand and there's no effort involved, but certainly many of our customers, I I could say the majority of our customers use an ERP such as SAP and then Oracle, but there's also other ERP, various other ERPs that our customers use. Now, we have defined an approach that means regardless of ERP or system of record, we're still able to help get that order or that invoice captured, processed, and, and fed into their business system. So arguably how we do that with a SAP or Oracle account might be different to somebody who's running, for example, IFS or maybe an ERP that we haven't worked with before. Where does Esker go from here? How do you see the needs of your customers evolving in future, and how might that affect the product that you offer the marketplace? If I focus on the supply chain, the customer order management, sales order process technology, I think ultimately what we've been asked to do is is help improve the customer experience. And, And what that means is maybe making it easy so that the customer can come online, view orders, reorder, check the status of an order. I think it also means the ability to chat without necessarily picking up, picking up the telephone. So the customer service rep can chat back and forward with the customer. I think there's a need and an interest in making it easier and quicker to res- uh, resolve any issues or RMAs that come up. And ultimately, I think what our, our mission is, is, is really we've got to help the director of customer service or the, the VP of supply chain. We've got to help them track what is the true order time be it whether it's an email, fax, a flat file, or an EDI file. So we've got to make it simple. I'm going to give them a true picture so they can say, are we meeting our SLAs? Are we getting better? Or do we have an issue? Is it an issue because the CSR needs some training? Or is there a bigger issue and we need to go and have a conversation with that customer and say, hey, we could, we could serve you better, but in turn, you need to clean up the data and the way you give us the order. You know, we need to collaborate here. But I think they can only do that if we help give them metrics about how are they doing as an organization? Where are the bottlenecks? What is the true cycle time for processing the order? Dan Reeve, I want to thank you so much for telling us a little bit about Esker. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. That was my conversation with Dan Reeve and Jeremy Dukers of Esker, talking about how automation can help companies to cut costs and manage growth. Our thanks to Esker for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.